Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. Going to continue in our series called Shame, Fear, and Control. And last week we kicked this off and we started by looking at the very original sin in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. And we saw where Adam and Eve sinned. And so it said that they were ashamed because of their nakedness. And then they, they were afraid and so they hid themselves from God. And then they tried to take control of the situation and stuff from hiding and covering things up. And we talked about how that is a cycle that the enemy still uses in our life today, that he'll use the shame of, uh, of a sin or something that's happened to cause us to become afraid of being found out or afraid of allowing people to get close to us. And then we begin to control different areas of our life. And, you know, when we talk about shame, a lot of times we only think about, uh, you know, when it comes to sin, but there's, there's other things that, that uh, you know, that are consequences of life or things that were done to us sometimes that can bring shame as well. You know, even somebody who may have suffered abuse as a child, you know, then becomes, when they begin to have kids, they become fearful and, and they, they try to control every situation and try to keep their kids out of situations in which something could happen to them. And, and, and you know, that, that controlling thing tends to kind of more push kids away uh, from God versus bringing them to and, and so we're going to talk today, last week we talked about shame, this week we're going to talk about fear. Now, I know a lot of people, when they talk about fear, they'll give you nice little acronyms like false evidence appearing real, you know, and, and talk about how, you know, uh, all, all you need is more faith. You don't, you, you shouldn't have fear because it's, it's, a, it's a false evidence appearing real. But as we look into uh, the things that we're going to look at today, we're going to find out that some of the situations where people were finding fear, there was nothing false about it. It was real life circumstances and things that they were encountering that led to them uh, experiencing fear in their lives. But today I want to talk about what the Bible says about fear and, and what the enemy, how he uses fear uh, to try to hinder us from fulfilling what God has called us to do. And so the first thing about fear that you need to know is that fear is a spirit. Fear is not an emotion. Fear is not a feeling. Fear is a spirit. And it's very important that we understand this because we, if we just think it's an emotion or we just think it's a feeling or whatever, then we'll try to fight a spiritual battle with earthly measures. We'll just try to be, have more self-discipline or, or just quote more scripture and just have more faith and, and all of those things. And, 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 and so then we try to, to fight a battle that's a spiritual battle with a physical thing. And when you look at that spirit, the, the word there, uh, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul wrote this to Timothy, and it says that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And so here Paul identifies that fear is a spirit. Now, when you look at that, he's saying that this spirit didn't come from God. So if the spirit didn't come from God, then it's not 
you know, the Holy Spirit. It's not a, a, a gift that God gave, but it's an evil spirit that's from the enemy. Now, when we start talking about evil spirits and stuff, some people start getting all like, this is kind of hooky spooky. This is kind of out there, pastor. I don't know about all this spiritual stuff. Well, you have to understand that Paul made it very clear in Ephesians 6 that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. We are not fighting a battle that we can win with just our physical strength, our physical you know, mindset or fortitude or anything like that. This is a spiritual battle. He even said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness in high places. What is he saying? We, we are wrestling in a spiritual battle against evil spirits. And so we have to understand that so that we can begin to combat it with the, the things of God and not just trying to, to fight fear with being more disciplined or fight fear with, with any uh, earthly, you know, kind of me- measure that we can muster up in ourselves. The second thing that you have to know about fear is that fear is an attack on the gift that is on your life. Now, when you see this in Scripture, even when Paul told Timothy that God had not given him a spirit of fear, if you know the circumstances going on, you know, Timothy is the pastor at the church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus is, uh, is one of the largest churches that was in the world at this time. And Timothy was a young guy. And so he's probably kind of intimidated because he's a younger guy and, and trying to lead, uh, you know, some older, more mature believers and that type of thing. And, and so there, there's, there's probably some things there as far as fear. But he was also serving in an area where the emperor was taking Christians and murdering Christians for sport. He would take them and dip them in wax and, and use them to line the streets as, as street lamps. He would take them and, and have them killed as, as part of games like gladiator games or, or, or sew them up in animal carcasses and feeding them to the lions and everything. Can I tell you something? These aren't false circumstances. Like this is real life. I could, I could die if they know. And Timothy is the leader of this church. So Timothy even has a bigger target on his back because he's the pastor. He's the leader of the church. And so Paul writes this and saying, listen, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. But right before that, I'll show you where it ties into the gift. In verse 5, he says, I am reminded of the gift of faith. That was in your that dwelt in your grandmother Lois and was in your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God which was on you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power and love of a sound mind. Paul, in context, is saying. Timothy, if you are not careful, this fear, this spirit of fear will stifle the gift that is upon your life. It will cause that gift that is on your life to go dormant. And you've got to recognize that fear isn't an emotion, it's a spirit. But God has given you power, love, and a sound mind to overcome that. You look in scripture and you will see time and time again where it talks about people's gifts being hindered by fear. Even in, in 1 Kings, you see the story, 1 Kings 17, 18 is the story of Elijah. And Elijah is this, 
man of God who appears before a king and says, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And for three and a half years, it doesn't rain. And then God provides for him through bringing ravens, bringing him food. And God provides for him through a, a widow woman who barely had enough food to feed her and her son. And, and for the entire duration of the famine, God was able to provide for her. And then the widow woman's son dies and Elijah raises him from the dead. Come on, somebody. Like, this is a man of God. Do we have anybody in here who's raised people from the dead before? Like, I mean, this is a guy who the power of God is working through. And then he calls down fire from heaven on multiple occasions. But after he does this, on the, 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 you know, the little contest in between him and the prophets of Baal and Asherah and, and everything, and, and he's mocking them and all this stuff, he calls down fire from heaven. And then he hears that Jezebel, the king's wife, sends a messenger to him and says, the same way that you killed my prophets, I'm going to kill you. And in verse 3, it says that Elijah became afraid. And when Elijah became afraid, he began to get to the point of where he began to question God. Like, God, I've been zealous for you and and, and, and all these other people have turned their backs on you. And like, where are you, God? It would be better for you just to kill me. Like, he starts struggling with suicidal thoughts and, and, and all of this because he's so crippled by fear. And God sends angels to minister to him. And, and God keeps trying to deal with him. But he won't get up out of the cave. He won't, he won't get up and, and move past that. And finally God comes to him and says, listen, I, I need you to go and I need you to anoint uh, Jehu, and I need you to anoint this other king, and I need you to anoint Elisha. And it uses this phrase, I need you to anoint Elisha in your place. In other words, I need you to anoint somebody who can do what you no longer can do because your gift has been crippled by fear. And Elisha carried on the thing. Elisha raised the dead. Elisha performed miracles. Elisha parted the Jordan River. All the different things that he saw Elijah do, he did in his place. Even in the New Testament, you see passages of Scripture where Jesus will be talking about heaven. And, and he teaches in Matthew chapter 25 the parable of the talents. And the parable of the talents is a, a landowner who gives uh, talents to certain people and he gives one five and he gives another one two and he gives another one one and he tells them I need you to do business until I come back and and then the guy comes back and the, the one who he gave five to he said okay I, 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 I took your five and I gave you five more here's your talents and and, and the guy rewarded him and and then the, the the guy who had five or two he said here's your two and I brought you back two more and he said good and then there was the one who only had one and this is what he said, the one who had one came forward and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, that you reap where you don't sow, and you gather where you didn't scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I hid your talent in the ground, and here is what is yours. And when he comes back and he gives that to the landowner, the landowner rebukes him and says, why didn't you do anything with what I gave you? It, you, you know, he even calls him wicked and lazy. If you would have just done something, even if you just put it in the bank, at least I would have got some interest. But you can see that, that the fear is what grippled. The, the, the guy who had five and the guy who had two, they, they didn't fear the man to the degree of where it stifled their ability to do anything to produce more talents. But this guy saw him as a hard man, 
and was afraid, and it crippled him from, from moving forward. Luke chapter 19, very similar parable. It's not the same parable. It's different. This time it's not talents. It's minus. This time it's not five, two, and one. Everybody gets ten. But the same story, one has ten, and, and he comes back, and, he's, and he says, I got you ten more. And he said, well, good. Let me give you, uh, you're going to be over ten cities. And then the other one says, I came back with five. And he didn't rebuke the one who only returned with five. He said, well done. You're going to be over five cities. And then there was one who didn't do anything. And it says that that man came to him and said, here's your mina. I kept it and I laid it away in a handkerchief because I was afraid of you. Because you're a severe man. You take what you don't deposit and you reap what you don't sow. And the man looked at him and he said, I'm going to condemn you with your own words. You wicked servant. If, I, if you knew I was a severe man and I, and, I, and I take what I didn't deposit and I reap where I didn't sow, then why didn't you at least put my money in the bank? And then when I came back, I could have collected it with interest. And then he said, take what he has and give it to the one who has ten. Now, when you look at this, you will see that the gift of God on Elijah was so stifled that Elisha had to pick up. And the gifting and anointing that was on his life had to transfer to Elisha. The parable of the talents, the guy was so afraid that he couldn't even do anything. And so the, the gift, the, the, the talent that he did have was taken and given to another person. And the same thing with the minus. Why? Because the enemy is trying to stifle the gift that is on our life to keep prevent us from spreading the gospel and doing what God's called us to do. When Jesus gave the great commission to go into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples, he wasn't just talking to his 12 disciples. He was talking to the crowd. And when he looked at the crowd, he didn't say, okay, you guys who are disciples of mine or you who are part of the 70 or 72 that I sent out, you guys Go preach the gospel and everything. He looked to the entire crowd and gave the crowd the command to go and preach the gospel, make disciples. I think one of the biggest things that people are afraid of in the world today is to do exactly what I'm doing. In fact, the number one fear, when they rate all fears, the number one fear is not the fear of death. The number one fear is the fear of public speaking. People would rather die than get up here and preach. And some of y'all are like, amen. <laughs> yes. But what's the calling that God gave us? To preach. And so God gave gifting and God gave calling for all of us, maybe not to get up and preach in front of a congregation, but to use your life and use your words to preach and tell other people about Jesus. But fear wants to stifle that. And see, here's the amazing thing about God, is that God knew that fear would be the thing that would try to silence people from being able to speak up and tell other people about their faith. And so when Jesus is getting ready to ascend, and remember his disciples, when, when Jesus was being taken away to be crucified, they all ran. And they not only ran, but they ran back. If you read John chapter 20 and 21, like they ran back to their old life. 
Like when it says that Peter decided to go fishing, it didn't mean that he just went on an overnight fishing trip. Like he decided, I'm going back to fishing as my living. And the other disciples that were there with him were like, yeah, me too. We're going to tag along. We're going to come with you. They had walked away essentially from the faith. And Jesus pulled them back. Remember, Jesus shows up on the beach and talks to him, and, and then uh, Jesus has the conversation with Peter where he says, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord. And he said, well, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. And, you know, he denied him three times, and, and now he restores him three times. But even before he sent him into ministry, he didn't say at the beach that night saying, okay, guys, you're getting ready to go preach the gospel, and you're going to go take the world for me now. He said, I'm going to, in fact, later, he said, it's at the ascension when he gives the great commission and he's talking to everybody and he tells them to go into the gospel, or go into the world, preach the gospel, make disciples and all of that. It's at that point that he also tells them, but before you do, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait. And when you go to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And he doesn't say the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you so you can run and shout and run the pews and dance and have a, a good old time and get goose pimples and all that stuff like that. He says, I'm sending my Holy Spirit to give you boldness. Not boldness so that you can do whatever you want with your life and, and have the career and take risk in business and everything. I'm going to give you boldness so that you can be a great leader and all that stuff. He said, no, no, I'm giving you boldness so that you can be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and what? The outermost parts of the world. I am sending my Holy Spirit to give you the boldness that you need to accomplish the task and the calling that I have given you. So which spirit are we yielding control of our life to right now? The spirit of fear that is from the devil or the Holy Spirit that gives you boldness to tell others about Jesus? It's awful quiet in this place. This isn't about condemnation. This is about realization. This is, this is about getting the revelation of the fact of the fact that I can't invite somebody to the church means that I am yielding part of my life to an evil spirit and allowing him to direct my life. The fact that when, when people are having a conversation and, and they're talking negative about God or they're, they're running down the church or whatever, and I feel like I can't peacefully in love speak into that conversation because I know the truth is saying that I'm yielding. What, what are you doing? You're taking control of your life. Because you would rather, versus being rejected, you would rather control the scenario, and I'm not going to say anything, and I'm just going to stay tucked away, just keep my head down, and just do my work every day. And God placed you in that workplace. God placed you in that school. God placed you in that family. God placed you in that neighborhood. So that you could tell other people about Jesus. But we've allowed a spirit of fear to stifle the gift that God has given us. But we have to recognize that God gave us power, love.
love and a sound mind. And I love the fact that when you look up the word power there in that, it's the word uh, dunamis. And the word dunamis is the same word that it talks about when it talks about the Holy Spirit and the power that comes. I gave you my spirit and I gave you my love and I gave you a sound mind. And that's the third thing that we have to realize about fear is that fear is an assault on the love of God in your life. It sounds kind of crazy that if you're afraid for somebody to encourage you with, God gave you love. Oh, well, that's great. But how is that going to help me fight this thing? God gave you love. Well, you give me roses and puppy dogs too. I mean, like it just seems like those aren't weapons that I can use right now. But it's important that we understand how much God loves us. Because if we don't understand the love of God, then we begin to think that everything that we have to do, we have to make it happen ourselves. And we begin to take control of our lives and we begin to try to set up scenarios and, and try to set up different ways that we can be promoted or catch people's attention and, and, and all of those things so that we can try to, try to climb the ladder of success and fulfill the, the will of God on our, in, in our life and, and try to, you know, do whatever is necessary to, to take the next step, get the next promotion. Versus trusting that if God spoke it to you, then God has every ability to get you where you need to go. If you just continue to operate in the gifting in the place that he has you now. Sometimes God can't give us the bigger tomorrow because we haven't been faithful with what he gave us today. And the reason why we haven't been faithful with it is because of fear. Because we've questioned the love of God. God God's love, it, 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 he doesn't love me enough to protect me from this. He doesn't love my children enough to protect them. Like we had to come to the realization as parents that our control was actually hindering our children in their growth. We had to come to the realization that God loves us and that God loves our children even more than what we do. And we had to release some control into their lives. And when we begin to release control is when God began to move in their lives in an even greater way. Why? Because God loved them too. We were the obstacle that was hindering God from moving in their life. God, sometimes this happens with, a, with a, a spouse that's praying for another spouse. You know, a lot of times when, when women are praying for their husbands, they, they're anointing their pillow with oil and all this stuff, and, and they slide into bed, and they just slide right out because there's so much anointing oil on the bed. And, you know, and we just try to preach at them and just tell them about Jesus and what they need to do and the changes they need to make and all that. Can I tell you something? You are, you are trying to take control, and you need to release that control and trust that God loves them enough to get them where they need to be. That God has heard your prayers. And that God loves you enough to answer your prayers. You don't have to manipulate the situation. You don't have to play Holy Ghost Junior. The Holy Spirit is amazing at his job. If you allow him to do it. 
but a lot of us because of different circumstances that have happened in our life. Because we've had heartache, because we've had hurt, because we've had rejection. We almost feel like we have to take control so that we can work our life out and get it where it needs to be. And when we see these negative things, we almost take it, just be honest, how many of you because of, at some point in time in your life, because of something negative that happened in your life, you felt like you were being punished by God and wondering if God could even love you? I mean, look at all the hands around here. Paul was a person who went through some things in his life. Paul was shipwrecked multiple times. Paul was stoned and left for dead. Paul was beaten with rods. Paul was beaten with lashes. Paul had times when he was, was hungry. Paul had times when he was at, at cold and, and didn't have food and, and all of these things. And yet Paul writes this scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says, and we know that God is able to work all things to the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but imprisonment doesn't sound very good. Having someone throwing rocks at you to the point of where you died doesn't sound very good. Somebody beating you on your back with rods doesn't sound very good. Taking 39 lashes five times doesn't sound very intriguing. Like if we did a sign-up sheet today, how many people want to be beaten with rods, be stoned, be shipwrecked, be hungry and cold and all that? There wouldn't be anybody writing their names down on their sign-up sheets. Because that doesn't sound like good things. And I want you to think about this. If anybody had a reason to feel shame in their life for their past, Paul was a person who had a reason to feel shame for what he had done in the past. He had killed Christians. He had imprisoned Christians. He had fought against God. I mean, you would think that when he comes before Peter and John and James who left their family business and and all this stuff, that there, there had to be some fear, there had to be some shame and stuff when you encounter these people. How could Paul write this and say, like, I know that God is able to work all things. Like, no matter what I've been through. And he even says that all the things that he'd been through were light momentary afflictions. Again. Imprisonment in a rat-infested prison doesn't sound like a very light momentary infliction. Being beaten, left for dead doesn't sound very light to us. And yet Paul goes to prison and him and Silas just start singing. And them singing leads to an earthquake and everybody gets set free. And then the jailer and his family ends up finding salvation. Why? Because Paul was willing to go to prison. And even in prison, Paul was really willing to still worship God. But yet some of us in our life, when things don't go the way that we anticipated, then we ain't worshiping God. We pull back. We don't, we don't engage in church. We come into church and, and like, we don't raise our hands. We don't, we don't connect in and everything because... I don't even know if I can connect to that song right now because I'm not feeling it in the moment. Paul wrote four books of the Bible from a prison cell. 
You couldn't stop him from the gospel going forward. And Paul isn't the only person. You would see time and time again where people had to trust in the, the power of God and the love of God to move in their life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told, if you don't bow down to this God, then you're going to be burned in a fiery furnace. And you know what they said? They said, we serve a God whom we, uh, the God whom we serve exists, and he is able to deliver us from this burning furnace uh, and from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you have set up. We know that our God loves us enough to rescue us from this, but even if he doesn't rescue us from the fire, I'm going to be with him in heaven anyway, so I'm all good. One way or the other, I'm good. And I'm not bowing down. David trusted in God. When, when everybody in Israel was afraid of the giant, and the giant is standing there mocking them and ridiculing them, David remembered, you know what? God protected me from a lion and bear one time. And while everybody else is afraid, David goes to the king and he says, your servant, when he was tending his father's sheep, whenever a lion came or a bear came and carried it off from the flock, I just went, I struck it down, and I delivered it from his mouth. And after that, I struck it down and I, I delivered the lamb from his mouth and, and I would kill it. Your servant who has killed the lions and bears, this uncircumcised Philistine, will be just like one of them because he defied the, the armies of the Lord God. I trust that if God loved me enough to protect me from the lion and to protect me from the bear, this Philistine is going to be just like them. Joshua and Caleb, they're at the edge of the promised land. God tells them, go see the promised land and see how good it is and everything. They go in. They have 12 spies that go in. Ten of them come back and say, we can't do it. There's no way that we can do this. And Joshua and Caleb says, it's not about what we can do. It's about God and what he has already done in our life. We just have to trust God. If God is with us, surely we will be able to go in and defeat these people. I've seen the faithfulness of God. I see how he's provided. I can trust in God that if he's done this for me in this area before. And they were the only ones who were able to enter in. The other ten spies in that whole generation didn't enter in because they saw the giants in the land as greater than God's love. You see, we like to convince ourselves that all we need is just more faith. And if we just had more faith, then we could take the next step. If we just had more faith, then we could tell somebody about Jesus. If we just had more faith, then we could do the next thing that he's asking us to do. But listen, the problem isn't necessarily that you don't have faith. The Bible says that he's given us a measure of faith, and he's given all the faith that we need in, in our life. Like He gives us gifts of faith. He in, imparts faith into our life. The thing that we need more than just saying that we need more faith is we need a greater understanding of God's love. That's why Paul could say this is light momentary afflictions. It's because he understood God's love. After he said that, that I know that God is able to work all things together for the good, he said in, in verse 35, what is going to separate me from the love of God? Shall distress, shall uh, persecution or famine or nakedness or, or, or danger or sword. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through Christ who what? Loved us. 
the, the famine, the nakedness, the, the, the distress, the trouble, it didn't change the love of God. We still were able to make it through. We're still able to conquer because he loved us. And he says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angel or principalities, he's not He's talking about demonic angels and principalities and things here. Neither things from the future uh, or things from the present or the future or any powers or any height or any depth or any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. And it is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul could go through all that he went through and was unafraid of imprisonment, was unafraid of all of those things. Because he understood the love of God. Listen, I think sometimes people look at like mine and Melody's life and stuff. And they see where we are now. And they see different blessings that God has given us and everything. And I think it's like, oh, well, they just had it easy. They never had to overcome anything. They've never, you know, God just blessed them. And that's why they're able to be where they are. And God just hasn't given us that type of favor and everything. But we spent years of our lives in and out of hospitals fighting for the life of our second child. Told us she wouldn't make it to be a year old and five bone marrow, uh, uh, five bone marrow biopsies, multiple surgeries, central lines, seeing doctors at St. Jude and, and all this and and just negative report after negative report. When you, when you see the best immunologists and hematologists and, and all the other ologists in the world and they have no idea what's going on with your daughter, it's a little bit of a trial. You know what? Every single week when it was her night to lead worship, she was there to lead worship. When it was my night to do leadership, I was there when I was playing on the worship team. We never stopped. Because we had to keep our hands to the plow. We, we, we knew that it, it, it's not going to be my withdrawal that, that gets God's attention. It's actually the fact that I trust in him that he can take care of my. In fact, God told me, if you'll take care of my house, I'll take care of yours. And he did it. And it didn't happen right away. Zia wasn't miraculously healed that day. And then right after that. Melody, Melody uh, gets pregnant a couple years later, and we, in the second trimester, we lose that baby. You know, you're supposed to be out of it. You're supposed to be out of the, 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 the window and stuff, and we, we lose that child. And, and, you know, people come, and it's like, well, well, you know, maybe something would have been wrong with the baby. Maybe that's why God took it. And I was like, I think there's something wrong with you, the fact that you're coming and telling me that right now. Like, do you think that I wouldn't, my second daughter had something wrong with her for a period of time. Do you think that I'd be like, hey, just kill her. It's no big deal. I didn't, if something's wrong, I don't want her. She's perfectly healthy and everything now. Getting ready to turn 17 years old. Wasn't supposed to make it to one. We went through some things, but it was God's love that brought us through it. Do I know why we lost that child? I have no clue. But I know this, that even in the loss, we had church and friends and people who came around us and encouraged us and loved us and helped us. And 
through, Z, through Zia's sickness, all of these things. I have been in two rollover accidents that I should have been killed in both of them. Like if you've seen the vehicles and the pictures of the vehicles and stuff that I walked out of with no injuries. There is no reason why I should be sitting here today. I'm, I'm telling you, listen guys, disappointment and things going wrong in your life does not mean that God does not love you. Paul said, distress, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, all of those things. None of those things separate you from the love of God. And you know why they don't separate you from the love of God? Because 1 John 4 says that God is love. It's, it's the very being of who he is. It's not an emotion that he feels. It's who he is. God cannot hate you. Throughout scripture, God defines himself not as an angry God, but a God who is slow to anger, rich in love. But we've allowed the enemy to come in and lie to us where we're afraid of God. And then it hinders us from drawing closer, which keeps us from stirring up that gift, like Paul told Timothy. And then it keeps us from operating in that gift. But John continues in verse 18, and he says, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels some fear. Like the little fears, like the fear of the dark, God can take care of that one. You don't need to sleep with a nightlight anymore. He's got you. Man, it says all fear. His love casts out all fear because if we are afraid, it is for the fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So if we are walking in fear, he's saying the fact that you're still walking in fear and allowing fear to dictate your life shows that you haven't fully experienced and that you don't have a true understanding of how great our love, God's love is. Now the guy who wrote this, wrote, you know, he wrote John, he wrote First, uh, Second, Third John, he wrote the book of Revelation. John who wrote this, he refers to himself five times in the book that he wrote as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Talks about how the disciple whom Jesus loved laid his head on the, the, the shoulder of Jesus. The disciple whom Jesus loved ran to the, 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 uh, the graveside, the tomb site with Peter. And the disciple whom Jesus loved outran Peter to the gravesite to see the empty tomb. Do you know what this disciple whom Jesus loved went through in his life? When he was older, he was a leader in the church. The government tried to kill him. The way that they tried to kill him was by putting him in a vat of boiling oil. 
just think about it. Anybody ever got like a gre- the grease pops out and hits you on the arm and stuff and leaves a little burn? It's like, that hurts. Can you imagine your entire body being submersed in boiling oil? And you know what John did while they're immersing him in boiling oil? He preached the gospel. And he lived. They put him in oil. He just keeps preaching. And then they pull him out. And there's nothing wrong with him. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not even a smell of smoke on him. And so then they're like, okay, well, if we can't boil him alive, we're just going to make him drink poison. But John had heard Jesus even say, talk about how they will take up uh, deadly poison or drink deadly poison and it will not harm them. So he trusted in the love of Jesus, so he drinks the poison. And guess what? Still alive. It's like the grandma on the crudes. Still alive. Now what? So they exile him to the Isle of Patmos. You know what, what he does when he's in exile? He writes the book of Revelation. Nothing they did to him stopped him from fulfilling the great commission. That's why Paul, Paul and John both understood the love of God. And because they understood the love of God, there was nothing that they could throw their way that was going to keep them from fulfilling what God had called them to do. It's the same thing that God wants to do in us. God wants us to have a revelation of his love so that it kicks out and expels all fear so that we fulfill the purpose and the destiny that God placed us here on earth. give you three words that if you can grasp this, this will help you walk and live a victorious life. You ready for it? God loves you. We've been singing a song since we were little kids. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. But how many of us are actually living it? Guys, if we're still yielding to fear, then we haven't allowed his perfect love to expel it out. And God wants you to have a revelation of his love so that you can expel the fear and you can walk in power, love, and a sound mind and defeat the enemy. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.